This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 37 with John Levy. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. What is up, Shop Talk Creatives? Today, I get to bring to you a special guest, John Levy, who I met through Jordan Harbinger, who is the last guest on Shop Talk Radio. And John runs a really cool thing called the Influencers Dinner here in New York City. He's been doing it for the last three or four years, and he's done about 50 of them so far. It's a pretty fascinating concept. He invites only 12 people. Nobody knows each other. They're all high-level influencers of different industries, and nobody gets to talk about what they do for the first hour of the event, and people get to know each other on more of an emotional level, and they cook dinner together, and then afterwards, there's a salon uh, where they, he invites 60 people. It's right directly after the dinner in his Upper West Side apartment, and he has a couple speakers, sometimes guest music performers, but John's a super interesting guy, a great host. And he's studying human behavior and influence. He's also got an upcoming book that he's writing on the science of adventure, which I'm super fascinated to read when he comes out with it. It totally resonates with the campaign that I've been working on, Create Your Moments, because it's all about creating the adventures in life. It's about creating our lives in general from the moments to the big picture and creating adventure creates memorable stories and connections. On today's episode, we get into the psychology of influence and groups and curating the right people because as we know in entrepreneurship, it's about it's about relationships, it's about connecting with people and giving value, adding value to people in any way that you can. So without further ado, let's jump in. What is up, everyone? Today, we've got John Levy on the podcast today. And John is an amazing social curator, social artist. But I'll let him tell you a little bit more about what he does. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you and I'm super excited to like dive into a lot of different worlds that you're into, uh, the world of influence, the world of um, curation and social experiments. It sounds like you've got a lot of those <laughs> coming up in your future endeavors, but uh, why don't you just, uh, let's just get started and why don't you tell us what you do, tell us about the influencer dinner, how that got started and what your background is. I know that's a lot, but... Yeah, no problem. Uh, Well, what I do is I'm a behavior expert. So I take research done by uh, neuroscientists, psychologists, behavioral economists, and I apply it for companies to help them connect with their customers. And so it's all research and science-based. And about five years ago, six years ago, actually, at this point, I was sitting in a seminar and uh, the seminar leader said something really kind of wild that caught me. Uh, He said that the fundamental element that defines the quality of our life is the people we surround ourselves with and the conversations that we have with them. And I thought, wow, I I really need to get very good at curating the people in my life if I wanna do something extraordinary. And so I set out on this kind of mission to figure out how to bring together the most exceptional and extraordinary people in our culture. Mm. 
And uh, after kind of a year of thinking about it and coming up with uh, concepts on how to accomplish it, I ended up uh, designing a secret dining experience. And the way it works is I invite 12 people, all of whom are kind of captains of industry, thought leaders, tastemakers. Uh, and when they arrive at my home, they're not allowed to talk about what they do or give their last name. And then we cook dinner together. And when we sit down to eat, everybody gets to guess who they're sitting down next to. And then they find out after everybody guesses that we do a big reveal and they find out that they're sitting down next to an Olympic medalist or a Nobel laureate or a well-known yeah. actor or, uh, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy, <laughs> <Love that. laughs> something like that. Um, yeah. And it's just been pretty extraordinary. Uh, and, uh, kind of wild because it started off as just an experiment, uh, Five years ago was the first dinner, and uh, since then we are about to celebrate our fiftieth dinner uh, with a full reunion of over four hundred people. Wow! Congratulations. Thank you. It's uh, it's been a little wild, to say the least. Yeah, no kidding. So, is this your full time thing now, or do you still do you do consulting for other um, uh, consulting is stuff? technically my full time thing, but uh, it's even though I have a team of people who work with me to arrange the dinners and. Uh, to schedule everything, it still takes a lot of time, and it's uh, it's my main passion project. I, people often ask me, "What do you what do you do?" and and uh, the short answer is, I spend most of my life convincing people to cook me dinner. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's a passion project because it doesn't make me any money. Yeah, I mean, and at a certain private point, it probably could, but I think that's the the, the biggest thing is that you're passionate about it. Because that's where you can birth the biggest things. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of wild for me because my favorite thing is to meet interesting people and hear their stories, mm. and I take a lot of lot of pleasure in connecting people. Mm -hmm. And uh, this essentially serves as an expression of all that for me. It's uh, if I could do something full time, this is I, I love my work in uh, consulting, but there's just such a pleasure having these people come together and enjoy themselves so much. Yeah. So do you think you could turn this into a full-time venture? Um, I think that the dinners themselves, I, I, I will say this, I've gotten a lot of value from it, right? The, it probably cost me about 30 grand a year to do these, hmm. which is a, a serious investment. Yeah. But the value that I've derived from it is completely disproportionate. The friendships that I've gotten, the business deals that I've been offered, um, I have a book in the works now, a TV show in the works and Amazing. that those relationships and the trust that's been built to, uh, to create that would have never come about without the dinners. Uh, and I've also developed a bit of a reputation, which I find completely insane. Yeah. Right. I'm, my background is I studied computer science, math and economics at NYU. I was like, wow. I'm a, I'm a geek, right? Yeah. I majored essentially in not dating in college <laughs> and, uh, and now when I, I travel a lot um, to a lot of the major events to do my dinner, so Art Basel, Sundance, South by, Southwest, um, San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. And I'll walk up to an event or something like that. I'm not sure if I'm RSVP'd and I'll say my name and they'll be like, uh, who are you with? And I'd say, the, I'm here with influencers at the influencers dinner. And even if I'm not on the list, they'll sometimes be like, oh, I definitely know that. And I'm like, how the... <laughs> 
how does anybody know this? Uh, and they're like, no, no, it's fine. Just come in. It recently happened. I was at Art Basel and the VH1 party. I thought we were on the list and we weren't. And they just let us in. And all because I run like some dinner party in my home uh, <laughs> twice a month. And I, it's just incredible to me that, you know, if you dedicate enough time to something and it's been years and yeah. countless hours, um, when it develops it, a reputation, it can really develop a life of its own. And, um, and it's one really flattering that people care and two really kind of funny to me when things work out that way. Yeah. Well, I think, I think too, if you connect the right people, you put the right, the good energy out into the world and the universe, I think you create this synergy mm -hmm. and it sounds like that's, ha that's what's happening for you. Yeah. A lot of the guests have, uh, developed incredible friendships, uh, business deals, countless dollars have been donated to nonprofits, uh, news articles. I know shows have been created projects with major tech companies and, uh, because it's such a diverse group, it really allows for synergies to be created that would otherwise never happen. These yeah. people would have never met each other. I have nights where I have uh, major television stars sitting down next to top furniture designers. And as a byproduct, when the furniture designer was on television for a car commercial, uh, he wanted to donate all that money and it went to the charity that the, oh, wow. that the, uh, actors involved in. And I think that that's really just wonderful because otherwise who knows where that money would have gone. Yeah. But now I know it went to a really great cause. Yeah. And that's got to feel good. feel great as a host as well. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty wonderful. Also, I, because I wanted to open it up a bit more, it's limited to 12 people. Um, I created a completely separate event called the salon. And I wanted it to be open to larger numbers. So it's this one's 60 people. And then I get famous speakers to come and explore a topic. Mm. Uh, so I'll have three speakers and often a musical act. And I've had um, a topic might be, what would life be life like if you explore your sense of wonder? Uh, mm. And I have Jenna Levin, who's a theoretical astrophysicist at uh, Barnard, published author. She opened TED, I think, in 2012, speaking about the wonders of the universe. Oh, wow. And then I have uh, Seth Porges, who's an expert on amusement parks, talk about uh, the wild and crazy amusement and theme parks of the world and how playful and fun they are. And then Moran Cerf, who's a famous uh, neuroscientist, um, talk about the wonders of the human brain. Oh, wow. And so... Uh, we got to explore the topic of wonder on the level of the universe, culture, yeah. and then self. And pe I mean, people are just floored when they hear the things that we know about the brain. Or, but, and the funniest part is when Jana was speaking, Bill Nye was sitting on the couch because it's all in my living room. Yeah. Um, and at, kind of like half heckling her, half asking questions. <laughs> but what about dark matter? And how does this fit into your model of the universe? <laughs> and, you know, I'm just kind of standing there floored that like this is taking place. Yeah. And yeah. you look back at the photos from these events and you, it, it's kind of like having Sting and Einstein in the same room. When would that have ever happened? Right, right, yeah. right. I mean, and that's, I guess that goes in, like, first let's, let's break down the, the influencer dinner. Like what, I don't know if you can walk us through what that actually looks like. And then how you even get, well, walk us down what it looks like first and then. Absolutely. Uh, so the first half hour is um, 
the guests are arriving, right? New York, everybody's notorious for being busy. Everybody's notorious for being late. And uh, so I give them enough time to to uh, grab a drink and just relax, uh, unwind from the day because it's the evening, and uh, start talking to each other. And here's a little tip. I, I, um, I try not to be around when mm. uh, at the beginning because my objective is for them not to grab onto me as the one person that they have in common. I want them to start forming the relationships. And so I kind of pretend to be as busy as possible during that time yeah. to force them to interact and talk to each other. Also that way later on when it comes time to guessing, everybody's had a chance to speak to everyone. Oh, that's good. So they'll have some cocktails and then I, have, uh, I tell them the rules of the night and let them know what we're making for dinner. And then we, uh, I start grabbing people and pairing them off because their station set up throughout my kitchen and breakfast nook. And, uh, and there's a station captain and each, uh, station has two people at it. And then I rotate the person who isn't the captain. Hmm. So, and the thing I tell them is that just at that moment where they've fallen in love with each other, right? Where they're like so excited to be talking to each other, I'm going to pull them away and move the person to the next station because everybody needs to interact. And then there's a development as we're all having cocktails and we're all cooking. At a certain point, you, the mood completely changes into this active, like wild kitchen environment where things are cooking and uh, drinks are being passed around and questions are being asked and uh, people are half lost between like stations and it just becomes this like wildly fun, uh, high energy environment. Yeah. And just at that point where people are like, I can't believe I haven't eaten yet, we all sit down and we raise a glass and we toast uh, uh, to the evening and we pick one uh, lucky first person and everybody else guesses what they do. And it's, you know, the guesses are anything from, oh, uh, there are po- a pilot for Delta Airlines to, I think that you're in the witness relocation program because you actually know where the bodies are buried to, oh, he's a porn star or always, always ends up somebody guessing porn star. Uh, or then, you know, when, if you know who they are, we end up coming up with like jokes or something obviously ridiculous. Yeah. Um, like, oh, I bet, uh, your last name is Zuckerberg and you invented a social network at Harvard, whatever it is. So um, it's very playful and everybody kind of gets, gets something really unique, which is the experience of seeing how the world sees them without the story that they've curated. Hmm. So especially in New York, everybody starts off with talking about, oh, so what do you do? Yeah. And it's so ingrained in the culture that when you pull somebody out of it, they're a little uncomfortable. At the first moments of the, when people are meeting each other, they don't know what to talk about. Yeah. And you get those awkward laughs. And, uh, and so since you can't use that anymore as a crutch, you are yourself, mm. which is why I, one of the reasons I don't like to have couples or people who know each other at all is because you get to create yourself in a way that's independent of what the past says and be known that way. And so uh, you get everybody's guesses. Sometimes I'll get like a financier who everybody thinks is a musician or a in fashion. Yeah. And they kind of get to have freedom from everything that's already been created about them. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, so 
what ends up uh, happening is once everybody's guests, then they have to brag. And it's a little difficult because people, some people are really good at promoting themselves and some people are absolutely terrible. Yeah. And, and I don't tend to Google people. Um, so I never know if they've said enough or not. And uh, sometimes I'm like, if anybody else knows who this person is, then, you know, please mention any additional information. Uh, and sometimes it's embarrassing because they'll just need to say their name and I don't know that that's enough. Yeah. So they're like, oh, I'm so-and-so. And everybody's like, oh my God, I can't believe this person. You know, I chop vegetables with this, you know, <laughs> multi Emmy award winning music, whatever yeah. Emmy is in music, but yes. And, uh, yeah, it's just been like a real pleasure. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds fascinating. It sounds like you almost, you almost curate the experience to push people into adventure and, um, how do you, so when you're inviting people to this, this dinner, how does that, um, how do you, how does it happen? How, yeah. How does that happen? Because obviously like the higher, I mean, from what I've noticed, the higher in social circles you go, people are way more busier. Mm -hmm. They have access to a lot more different things, more options. How do they say, how do you say like, well, you got to come to my dinner? Uh, so we have a, an email that goes out. Almost every person that's invited is a friend of a former dinner guest. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that we were fortunate enough, we were featured on the cover of the New York Times style section. We were featured in Forbes. Um, we've been in a ton of other outlets. So the, those name brands in the media industry are uh, carry a lot of weight to them. Hmm. Um, so I end up sending an email, but it, it's really true. The f higher status the people are, uh, the more emails we have to send out. So to curate 12 people, we probably have to invite 50 to 60 plus people. Hmm. Um, and it becomes really difficult because the moment you've set the first person, it eliminates an entire collection of people. So if I have a musician who confirmed yes first, I'm limited to who the next guest can be. Oh, I see. So then, okay, I have a musician, I have a news reporter, and then let's say I have a book author, a person who founded a hedge fund, and then who are my next guests going to be? Right. Maybe I can get an artist, okay. Then maybe I can get a, I don't even know what, a uh, famous juggler? I mean, <laughs> it just becomes really complicated to fill the last seats. Yeah, so, I mean, when you're, when you're curating, when you're going through this thought process of curating who's going to be at the dinner, what, what do you, what's the criteria? Well, um, first thing is that... Uh, What's the criteria of being influential? Criteria, if you like, okay, I got a musician. Okay, the musician said yes. Now I'm going to curate the room based off of that. So how do you figure out who you're going to invite? Like, what's the thought process behind that? Oh, interesting. Okay, uh, so I, I like to get a handful of people in as early as possible that everybody will go, oh, that's so funny. I sat down with this person. Mm. Right? So everybody's really impressive, but not necessarily somebody that you would go tell your friends about. Right. So if you were the, let me just think for a moment, the founder of a, one of the top film festivals or Comic-Con or whatever. Yeah. You tell your friends, oh, wow, I, I sat down with this guy and he told me crazy stories of hanging out with Stan Lee or whatever it is. Or if it was film, it might be some famous Robert De Niro or whatever. Yeah. Right? And that would be kind of like something that hooks you. So I, I like to have a handful of those people hmm. at, at each event. 
And then I like to have um, really a, a handful of up-and-coming people. Mm. So maybe it's a 24-year-old entrepreneur who has a hot new startup that everybody's talking that, you know, they sold their first company at 20 and they're just exceptional. Maybe they haven't, they're not multi-millionaires, maybe they haven't won major awards, but there's, they're like, they see the world differently. Yeah. Um, I recently uh, heard about a fashion de- uh, designer who produces vegan-only clothing <laughs> and uh, premiered at Fashion Week. So they mm. have a respectable line. They might not be, you know, Xenia uh, or uh, Zach Posen, but this person is a trendsetter, yeah. really leading the way uh, in the fashion industry. And that's fascinating to me. So they might not mm. be the most famous, and that's fine. They're setting cultural influence. Very interesting. So when you were first starting these dinners mm-hmm. and you didn't have the articles written, how did you begin curating? How did you get started making these dinners and getting, getting the right people in when you didn't have the clout to go with it? Uh, so there's, I know that people, and I'm going to answer this in the kind of the form of if I were to start something different today, whatever that would be, how I would go about it or what I learned from it, mm-hmm. which is the first thing I did was just experiment and try something. I had no idea what this would become. I initially sourced my social circle for my social circle. And I was fortunate enough that I've been doing seminars at different companies and I'd, I'm a rather social person in general, that I was able to source 12 really interesting uh, people uh, mm. from, from the start. Not at the level that I do now. They're they're wonderful. They're incredible people, but they don't necessarily have the social clout that, or the career clout that the guests that I have yeah. now. Um, and I did an experimental dinner and it was, it was, I would consider a success, but it was like, <laughs> it was summer. The air conditioner broke in the middle. We were cooking by a stove. We were sweating. It was just like, it was a hot mess. Yeah. It was wonderful. Like it was so different than anything else that was going on that I was being invited to at the time. Mm. And I had a lot of fun. And I know that two people started dating out of it. And I know that uh, uh, a handful of people became just incredibly close friends. And it was great. And then it took me six months to do it again. Mm. Because in that time, I was sourcing guests, meaning I would go to like, Every event I'd go to, I'd say, oh, I'm working on this new project. It's called the Influencers Dinner. It's uh, kind of crazy. Oh, it would be great if we exchanged info. I think you'd be, make a great guest. Yeah. And it, I'd be just shameless about promoting it. I didn't know what it was going to become, how we were going to do it. I haven't figured out which meal we should do or how to time any of it. I mean, now it's really systemized, right? 50 dinners. So you've got to figure, yeah. like, I know exactly what's going to happen every time. Um, so I was just shamelessly promoting it uh, and talking about it like it was the most amazing thing that's ever happened ever. Yeah. Even though I didn't even know what it was yet. Uh, and so I was collecting names and then six months later I did another dinner. And then it, I reduced the time again down to four months and so on and so forth until at a certain point I said, okay, I'm going to do two a month. And it's a ton of work. And yeah, I had to, It sounds like it. I had a, a part-time person that worked on it with me. And now I also have a a second assistant and all this kind of stuff. And I, uh, it just occupies a ton of time. Now the waiting list is over 2000 people. 
and when I say 2,000 people, I'm not talking like, oh, my Uncle Bill. It's, you know, yeah. it would be like famous comedians and famous musicians and so on. But the bigger problem is actually getting their schedules to work out. So sometimes I have to invite them to... There's people that I've literally been inviting for a year, more than a year, to every dinner. Wow. And they literally just can't make it. And they keep saying, I'm so sorry, I want to come. This is something I'm totally interested in. <laughs> but it's my schedule's crazy. Yeah. And so it's, it just ends up being this continuous process. Yeah. So they, they must hear the buzz and people, it comes highly recommended from the friends that introduce them, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. So that ha- that's the, the motivation for these higher level people to want to come. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, when I was designing all this, and this is something that uh, I really had to struggle with, is at the time I, when I started, I was 28. And uh, I fundamentally didn't understand the life of somebody really influential versus the life I was living. Right? So I was in like middle management or startup at the time. And I was really busy, but if somebody were like, somebody would say, John, uh, there's a cool event tonight. Can you cancel your plans and come? I'd say, yeah. But somebody who's really at the top of their industry Mm -hmm. is constantly traveling. Half the time, they don't know where they are. When they are around, they need to spend time with their family because they tend to be on the older side and have kids and are married. Uh, Their schedule is managed by somebody else. And if the other person didn't tell them what was going on, they would miss half of their events. Uh, they've experienced a ton. They're constantly being approached. They're getting tons of emails and don't have any free time. Yeah. So when you can get in that mindset, you realize that if you want somebody like that to show up somewhere, you have to offer an experience that stands out, that Mm. goes outside of their normal uh, considerations. And these are people who have all the answers, right? Everybody's always going to them for advice, for mentorship, they're going to them to speak at conferences so that hoping, hopefully they could inspire another generation of people to accomplish the same or more. Yeah. If that's the case, if they always have the answers, if either they know that a sale is going to happen or not, right? But it's not like all of a sudden a kangaroo is just going to show up in their office. Right. right? Everything's pretty predictable to them. Yeah. Then I have to take them outside of their comfort zone. I have to take them into an experience that has wonder in it. Put them in a state where they don't have the answer, where they're struggling or trying to figure something out or experiencing something that's quite unique to their day-to-day experience. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons that we created this rule that you can't talk about who you are, because it takes you outside of everything that you're used to relying on when you are the expert. Yeah. And once I have them in that state, then we can go and explore an additional collection of concepts, right? For example, the fact that we're all cooking a meal together creates a level of trust and community. Mm-hmm. It bonds people, especially because you're creating something that gives you nourishment yeah. and it's a joint activity. So I focus on first creating a sense of wonder, right? Also a sense of exclusivity. Since I'm limited to 12 people, per dinner. And I only do two a month, max. And some months I don't do any, like August, nobody's around. I don't even bother. Then that limits it to a couple of hundred people a year. I don't, nobody can, uh, was it, buy a franchise? Nobody, every dinner has to be run by me. 
Yeah. Which means that this is a limited pool of about 200 new people a year, maximum, yeah. uh, if that much. And then uh, the invitations are hand-selected. You can't request uh, attendance. I mean, you can be recommended by a former dinner guest, and you can even suggest yourself, but I don't think anybody who's ever suggested themselves has ever been accepted. Interesting. Um, people who've been recommended by former dinner guests have absolutely been accepted. That's our main source of guests. Yeah. Um, so a sense of exclusivity, right? They know that the people that they're surrounded by are people that they're interested in meeting. Yeah. Or are they not just going to be some fans or something like that? So a sense of wonder and a sense of exclusivity hmm. are critical. And then I try to uh, embody a sense of community by having the activities. Mm. Uh, and then I try to surprise and delight them in some way. Do mm. something that's beyond the scope of what, what anything they can read about. So we have all these secret traditions that exist as part of Ooh. the... Uh, you're not getting to hear about any of that. <laughs> but there's something about creating a a culture that when it has its own traditions, it doesn't only bond people, but it gives them something to look forward to. Mm. And it also, when it doesn't exist in record, when it's a complete oral tradition, yeah, then it gets to, then they feel like they're part of an inner circle that's a secret. Yeah. And it, it serves to strengthen the community even more. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. So is this something that you just discovered on your, on your, on your own? I know you, you went to school and you studied... You studied behavior. Uh, I actually studied, in, in a sense, I studied computer science, math, and economics. Oh, okay. So you studied behavior on your own? Yes. Okay. I studied behavior because I was so lame in grade school and high school that uh, if I didn't figure out how people interacted, I would not have any friends. <laughs> I was like, I was a real geek in uh, grade school. In fact, when I was in eighth grade... Uh, the teacher, our teacher uh, got rid of the seating chart and she allowed every student to write down two people they want to sit down next to and two people they don't want to sit down next to and uh, submit it privately. And through an unfortunate series of events, I found out that almost nobody wanted to sit down next to me. Like I was the social pariah of the, the class. <laughs> And I was like totally heartbroken. And oh, I said, no. I was either going to figure out how to get uh, how to connect with people, or I was going to end up, uh, you know, pretty lonely. And yeah. I was a geek who loved tech and computers and all those things. In an era before there was Steve Jobs, in an era before Apple products and iPhones and dot-com billionaires, there was no cool tech geeks. It was just like, oh, those guys are kind of like losers. Yeah. And I liked Star Trek and that wasn't cool. <laughs> so, so of all the, you know, what you've learned about connecting with people, I mean, you're a super connector, you, you do it very well. And even just from our interactions, you have this charm about you and it's, re it's really cool. It's like, I'm like, I want to talk to you more. And it sounds like so that's something that you've learned along the way. Yeah. It's, um, it's a lot of trial and error. I was pretty awkward as a kid. And uh, I, I would keep trying different ways of approaching people and talking to them. And I still do. Every time I tell a story nowadays, I change one element of the way that I tell the story hmm. to see what draws a better reaction. 
or when I approach and meet people and they ask me what I do, it's really tough for me to describe what I do. And so I, every time I try to change it just a little to see if I can yeah. shorten it and make it more interesting. And so when it comes to connecting people, I, I could give a, a, a bunch of, of tips, but fundamentally it is about why I'm doing it, right? Mm. What, what are you looking to gain from the experience of connecting people? For me, I just get a lot of pleasure knowing that I've cre- helped create something that, uh, that will live beyond the scope of what I have to manage, right? So there's, there's something in the world now that exists that wouldn't have existed without my nudging it together. Yeah. Uh, that then I also don't have to be involved with handling. Yeah. Right? Because there's so much stuff I have to take care of. I don't need more to do in life. Right. But now something's being created that is a benefit, either financially to people, socially, because of its impact, whatever it is. And it feels like there's a piece of me out there. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's it, it's such a, I love connecting people. So I know, I know what you mean. And I love seeing the synergy of two people that I connected and like what they create together. And that's always been fascinating to me. So, you know, another question is that within when you're connecting people, especially taking people out of the plane of what they do, mm-hmm. how do you introduce people to each other? Um, so nowadays I have enough, uh, social clout built up that I can literally just send an email saying you two talk and it'll be fine. Right. They know that I'm not going to introduce them and occasionally like it's a bad introduction, but that's so rare. I mean, yeah. fundamentally we are social beings and it's rare that people will, will abuse that, uh, social, uh, consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also part of it is because of how well you curate your social circle. Mm. Um, one of the things I will say is that I am really selective of who I have in my inner circle. And sometimes it means that I have to say goodbye to people. And sometimes uh, it's really uncomfortable, especially if you know each other for a while. Yeah. But my obligation isn't just to me. It's that I've committed to creating this community and I can't expose these people to a liability. I can't introduce them to people that could have a negative impact on their family and business and career. I have a a responsibility that goes beyond just me. And I personally don't have a wife or kids, but I do have this community that has taken me six years to assemble plus because of all the years before that, that I was that kind of built up to it. And uh, that means that I'm really careful about the, the people I bring together. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And I've, that's something that I've been working on the last few years of my life, too, is because, I mean, at the end of the day, you're the sum of the five, the five people that you hang out with the mm-hmm. most, right? So you want to ex- you want to create that environment for yourself that you can thrive in you're, and those around you can thrive in and take you to a higher and higher level. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. I, so I, I have a habit where I look at the list of people that I've met throughout the year. And um, I kind of keep a document of all the potential dinner guests, all all the people that I like to kind of stay in touch with in the short run. And I go, okay, these are the people that I definitely want to spend more time with this year. Mm -hmm. I recently uh, had the incredible pleasure of meeting uh, Shane Snow, who um, he's the author of a book called uh, Smart Cuts, which is applying kind of hacker methodology to your career. And Hmm. a brilliant guy. His book is 
Sounds fast. Doing incredibly well. He uh, is being heralded as the next uh, kind of Gladwell. Oh, interesting. And so I said, okay. I sent him an email. I was like, I had so much fun hanging out with you every time we've hung out. I really want to say this year, let's hang out a whole bunch. I really want to become friends. And he's super psyched. But that on the flip side of it is there's also things then I have to give up. And that because there's only so much time I can allow. And so that there's either certain people that I'm going to be spending less time with, or it means that I have to find additional hours in the day, (laughs) which isn't going to be happening. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So... Yeah, it's it's interesting how that works. I and I'm, there's I want to do more research on this, but there there isn't there some guy that talks about how you can only manage 150. Uh, I don't want to say fringe relationships, but you have your tight circles. I think it's like five, and then you have like 20. There's research done about 150. Uh, there's research done about a specific section of the brain in mammals. Uh, and I'm hoping I'm getting this right because it's been a while since I, I uh, reviewed it. Uh, but what this research found was that this section of the brain size correlates to the, uh, the number of uh, members of the species that they can interact with. So mm-hmm. wolves who hunt in packs have a bigger one than, let's say, mice. Yeah. And for humans, it's uh, 150 uh, people uh, estimated, mm. uh, and that's why that social network path attempted to kind of limit you to to 150 people. Yeah, and so uh, the theory is that you can keep track of about 150 relationships at a time, and then it just becomes overwhelming. I was recently uh, having a conversation with a curator of a very well-known museum, and uh, he, you know, we were standing aside from everybody else in the party. He goes, "You know, John, I recently saw an." neurologist because I was getting really concerned that I was getting some kind of deterioration. I go, what happened? He said, I had this problem where I couldn't remember people's names. Mm. And it was really concerning to me. So I went to the neurologist and the neurologist checks me out. He says, everything seems fine. Out of curiosity, how many people do you meet in a year? He goes, oh, a few thousand. (laughs) And the neurologist goes, your brain isn't designed to keep track of a few thousand people a year. Yeah. Uh, and you shouldn't be concerned. This is completely normal. And that's kind of, I can kind of associate. I used to be able to keep track of everybody. But when I'm meeting like 10 people plus a day, it's yeah. uh, my brain overloads. And uh, it's, uh, I need to figure out essentially a better system for managing that because fundamentally i'm sure all these people are incredible and the last thing i'd ever want to do is insult any of them yeah so do you have a system for kind of keeping track of those types of people well what i it's so what i've done is since i host so much i've uh, i've created a bit of a system and this is something i recommend for people in general if they want to connect people often mm. is i always have several events lined up where i can invite people mm. so i might not uh, so that way i can have an additional point of contact and maybe have a quick conversation with them or at least help them feel connected to something. Yeah. So the moment I meet somebody and I think, Oh, they will be really interesting to have a conversation with. I, uh, I immediately do an introduction between them and my assistant. And I say, please invite them to an upcoming salon. And then, then I get to see them at the salon and have a secondary point of contact mm. and hopefully a friendship develops from there. But I, 
try to design the event to be so memorable that even if we don't, they get to say, oh, that was the night that I saw when the roots perform in your home. Or, yeah. uh, and so it creates such a strong memory for them and at least a point of reference for me. Oh, that's cool. Uh, but I think I do need a better system and I, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know how, how many people this problem applies to that, to know if there's something that was created that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you, when you know so many people, sometimes you just, you wanted, you have people that you could totally introduce that person to, and then it just, you don't think about it because there's, it's that keeping everybody in that sphere. So do you know who's really incredible at it? Uh, there's a woman by the name of Sunny Bates who, uh, works, I think she's on the board of Ted or something along those lines. Uh, she's a absolutely incredible. And when you can tell when you, she meets people and she hears them talking about what they do, you can see the gears going off in her head, thinking about who would be the good person to connect them to. Like it's so intrinsic to the way she interacts. Yeah. Another person that's just spectacular is Adam Grant. He wrote a book called Give and Take. Mm. It's all about how generosity breeds success. Oh, interesting. Uh, and he, exceptional human being. He's, I think, the number one ranked Wharton professor of all time. Oh, wow. And uh, he often, I've heard him promote these things called reciprocity circles, where he'll get a group of people together, and it's, I think often his students, and each of them says something that they want to accomplish. And then the other people in the circle can say how they can support and it's completely voluntary. So it might be, oh, I want an internship with this company. And somebody else in the crowd will be like, oh, my uncle is, you know, the SVP of whatever there. And then things get fulfilled. But it's all about generosity. Mm. And, uh, and that's one of the things I really focus on creating for the community. We have a private online community. Oh, wow. Uh, where all the members can interact, which is kind of like wild that I have like, oh, the editor-in-chief of this chatting with, you know, so cool. this famous musician on my site. I'm like, ah, oh, this is crazy. <laughs> I love that. I mean, you know, and I guess the psychology of of generosity and giving is so, it's becoming a bigger thing, I feel like, mm -hmm. these days. And I'm, I'm very interested because I know that for me in my path, giving has created bigger results in my life. And, you know, and I think that plays out into even social interactions, right? So mm -hmm. adding value when you're meeting people, I guess one question that, that I would have for you on that is like when you're meeting somebody for the first time, how do you add value and to that person without going into the space of what they do for a living? How do you get to know somebody on that space. Cause you deal with this all the time at your dinners, right? Nobody can know what they. Interesting. So I think that, um, that's a really interesting question. So I, I'm rarely in a position where I'm offering somebody support without knowing what their career aspirations are or direction is. And one of the pieces of advice that I did take from Adam is he says, uh, people who are really generous, um, may want to consider being generous in a specific area. So I'm not the guy you should go to if you are looking to sublet an apartment somewhere. Like I might have a lot of contacts, but that's not any kind of information that I keep track of. Yeah. And people often do. And I'm like, listen, I'm sorry. I'm not, <laughs> I'm just not the guy. I'm also not the guy that an artist should come to for, you know, 
gallery contacts. I know a bunch of gallery owners and yeah, but there's people who fundamentally work in the art space. I'm a strategist. I'm a behavior expert. And so if you want your, you want to know about connecting with influencers, if you want, uh, if you're working and operating at a high level, then I can introduce you to maybe a bunch of media people or something so that a story comes out about it because there's a lot of media people in the community. Uh, but I'm not the, I need, I'm good at being generous in very specific areas. And when I venture beyond that, it ends up just not being as successful. Like we can only specialize in so much. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, as far as not knowing what people do, uh, I think if you actually get into a really intimate conversation with people, the areas of their life that they would want the biggest impact for aren't the ones that they are ready to speak about in a group of people. Yeah. It might be that uh, they're having marital problems and are looking for an expert to speak to about it. It might be that their kid is, you know, doing drugs. It might be that they're uh, trying to get their kid into college and just don't know enough about it and would love to speak to an expert. Yeah. But the areas of life that we tend to want to impact most, I've gotten the sense from experience that those are the ones that we're least willing to talk about. Uh, and so, um, although I'd love to help people with everything, it's a yeah. matter of, I guess, how quickly you can create trust with them. Yeah, that makes sense. And on a, on a more basic level, what are some good tips on how to get to know somebody without asking what they do? Because I know that comes up all the time mm-hmm. and, you know, first instinct, your first instinct is to be like, oh, well, what do you do? What do you do? And, you know, there's different interactions, different energies of conversation, but like generally, what kind of things can you ask people to get to know them on that level? Um, I think that uh, great questions are things like, what's something that you've done recently that you're really passionate about? Mm. Or I like to often begin by, oh, you want to hear something crazy? Or people ask me how I am. And I'll just go straight into some wild story of something that I've, <laughs> I've experienced uh, because it opens people up and it gets them asking questions. And then I can lead into, oh, so what have you been up to? Or what? And it, it, once I've shared something a little bit ridiculous about myself, people know that I don't take myself very seriously or I, I'm, I'll share something about how I embarrassed myself or something completely absurd. It opens up the space for a connection or uh, intimacy. Mm. And so I have no problem being the first one to embarrass myself. Right? Like I'm <laughs> totally out there. I, it's really something that I had to learn over time because, yeah. um, I used to have this rule that I wasn't allowed. This was in my twenties. I wasn't allowed to go home until I've met three strangers. And, oh. and as a byproduct of that rule, I got really comfortable with starting conversations and realizing that Mm. most people, the overwhelming majority of people are open to communicating with you. Um, Just share something of value. Yeah. Share something silly, share something fun, share something that stands out, do something interesting. And when you do, people will find it very attractive Uh, Mm. because we're in an era now where the strange uh, and unique is accepted and is interesting Mm. as opposed to, uh, alienated, right? At least in the major cities. I don't know how it is in 
towns of 2,000 people. Right. But if I say, okay, for example, this New Year's, uh, my least favorite place to spend New Year's is New York. And so I went to Dillsburg, Pennsylvania, to, <laughs> which is a town of 2,500 people or so, to watch a pickle being dropped at midnight instead of a ball. <laughs> now that's crazy. In like complete insanity. When if you talk to anybody from Dillsburg, they said, Are you kidding me? You left New York, drove three and a half hours, and came to Dillsburg <laughs> to see a pickle being dropped. Yeah, that's completely ridiculous. But it was fun and interesting and at least I didn't have to spend the experience in New York and I met wildly odd human beings. Yeah. And that's, that's a great story when I say, oh, hey, so do anything fun for New Year's? Oh, cool. This is what I did. And people are literally in shock when they hear the story. And it turns out that all the neighboring towns drop things. So like Hershey's drops a kiss. Mechanicsburg drops a, a wrench. Uh, Carlisle drops, used to drop a car, but supposedly it caught on fire one year. And so now they drop a badge. And then uh, Harrison, Pennsylvania drops a strawberry uh, because of Strawberry Square. And so me and my friend literally drove around each of these towns to, to go and take a photo of these weird objects that get dropped. And it was incredible. And I was so happy I wasn't in New York. Yeah. I mean, and that's a better story than then you would probably, well, I guess you probably would have a good story from New York, but New York is so typical. It's so I guess typical, typical yeah. for us, but it's not, it's not interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. It was, uh, so I, I'm a strong believer that if you, you should intentionally put yourself in uncomfortable situations, mm. um, if that's uncomfortable socially, because you'll learn a few lessons, maybe embarrass yourself and do it better the next time or because you'll end up with a success and then a, an incredible friendship grows out of it. Yeah. And, uh, I'm a huge supporter of that. I think that, um, it's life is more fun when you treat it as a, a collection of experiments than when you yeah treat it like a, uh, a task list. Of, yeah. So what are a few examples of, uh, things that people could do to, to get out of their comfort zone? Oh, that's great. Uh, so it, first of all, I will say this, we know that people have very different, um, tolerances for novelty. So some people are so uncomfortable in groups that, uh, and prefer being introverts and feel really comfortable in quiet environments that their tolerance would be very different than mine, which would also be different than somebody who probably goes base jumping. Right. Because they need a very high level of novelty. So I can give a few tips, but one of the things that people need to be responsible for is their own comfort. Mm -hmm. And that you don't have to be an extrovert. It's not the right way to live. Um, and there's a lot of research that shows that. But you, the, in my mind at least, there's something so wonderful about discovering another human being. Uh, when I look back at the wildest, funnest experiences in my life, it was... Sure, the context may have been an insane location, but it was the people that I got to experience it with that were the true gems hmm. and those friendships that yeah. uh, formed from it. Fundamentally, we are a species that developed socially with connections and emotions so that we can relate to each other. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I would do is realize that it's just about always acceptable to approach a stranger. 
and it's important to practice it because yeah. you get better over time. I approach people on the subway all the time. I approach people at, uh, I don't know, stores, uh, Whole Foods. Yeah. I mean, especially when it's things that I'm interested in and they're in that environment, I, there's a higher chance that I'll like them. Mm. Right? So if I bump into somebody at a Whole Foods, it's very different than if I bump into somebody in the subway because I'm more likely to have something in common with them. Right. Um, the second thing is ask people for favors. Oh. Uh, this is a really important thing that's overlooked. A lot of people take pride in doing everything themselves. Yeah. Uh, except for you miss out on two things. One is uh, research has found that if I do a favor for you, I'm more likely to like you. Because I see you as the type of person that I'd go out of my way for. Ah, interesting. So I ask people to do favors for me so that we can become friends. No kidding. And I'll even ask favors from strangers. Yeah, anything from take a photo for me to can you do whatever? Can you hold this or whatever it is? Just watch out what you're passing them. They might run away with it. <laughs> uh, but the point is that fundamentally we can't survive by ourselves. And so, and so we have all these social characteristics built into us and feel free to use them. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating. What else can I tell you? Um, I would say if you really want to get good at, if you want to create your own thing, right? The Influencers Dinner is fundamentally built on my character and what's in my DNA. Mm -hmm. It's an outward expression of how I feel towards people. Mm -hmm. And each of us have things that are important to us. So for some people that might be, uh, they're really interested in sports and they're very passionate about that or other people, it might be poker or whatever it is. If you want to create something, just go out there and start doing whatever it is. Mm. Um, there is a insane lack of communities out there that uh, bring people together for a, a better purpose. If that's a, and it doesn't need to be expensive. Mine runs a lot of money. Yeah. But you can do a board games night. You could do a potluck that you uh, host once a month and everybody knows and anybody can come and it's open door and uh, it's your potluck. And uh, maybe you have a real passion for a show. So once a week, whenever that show is on, everybody knows to come to your apartment and then uh, there's a party. Maybe it's that you... I have a real passion for books and you want to have like a book club. Uh, whatever it is that creates community, just start it. But here's a few things that if you are going to start it. Yeah. One, make sure it has an element of novelty, something that's really different than everywhere else. Mm. So if it's a, a book club, what if it's a children's book club <laughs> for adults? I mean, people love Harry Potter and I have never read it, but like Divergent and yeah. um, what else? The Hunger Games. So that's kind of a bit of an odd twist on it. Not, not incredibly odd considering how popular children's fiction is for adults these days. Uh, but what about um, if you're doing a sports night? What if uh, you added an element where there's an actual game taking place during sports night mm -hmm. where uh, if people are, uh, if your team is losing, you have to do some kind of silly activity. And so it becomes more of a challenge and gets people more into it. Yeah. Um, or if you like uh, baking and you do a bake club in your house and everybody makes cupcakes together or designs them, uh, then pick themes for them. So this one is like Angry Birds and the next one is, I don't even know what the new game is, Candy Crush. I don't 
But like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Or maybe it's a gamer night where every uh, week when a new game comes out, everybody comes together to play it at one person's house and review it. And then you do online reviews and that becomes like a big thing over time. Yeah. But the key is to just try it. And then when you try it, try to change something small every time so that you can test out. If the first time you invite 10 people, next time try 20. You discover 20 is too many, great, bring it down to 15. You found yourself the ideal number or 14 yeah. or whatever it is. The next time, uh, maybe it's just a, a girl's gaming night. And so you yeah. realize, oh, wow, this could be a really wonderful way for women to get together and feel really empowered. So, mm -hmm. But just change something small every time. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get influencers there, realize that and at a large scale you're going to have to promote the heck out of it and really uh, be willing to dedicate the time, but also put in those principles, right? Have yeah. an element of wonder, of novelty. Give them a feeling like you can, you're curating well mm -hmm. and understand that it's going to take time to build that up. Yeah. It, it took me probably, I don't know, a year and a half to two years, probably two years before I had like the first person you'd consider a celebrity there. Mm. Now every dinner has like one or two people where people are like, I literally can't believe I'm sitting down next to this man. <laughs> like, but legitimately, like this is crazy. Um, yeah. But it took me a really long time, and it's not like I have, I, I didn't, I wasn't born into a situation where I have access to these people. Yeah, it's something that I really developed, week after week, contact after contact. Every time somebody comes, I ask them for recommendations for other guests, mm. and I worked at it. And it's been from the day I sat in that seminar to today, it's been six plus years. Wow. Let me see what else would I, I suggest. Um, create your own traditions. Oh. On February 14th every year, I celebrate the festival of Ballyhoo. Right? Everybody celebrates Valentine's Day. Right. But I'm single these days. I'm I think that there's way too much pressure put on Valentine's Day. It's uh, you go out to an expensive meal, buy some chocolate and flowers, and you ha there's this pressure to be ultra romantic, right? I'm all for romance. I love doing special things for the person I'm with when I'm with them. Yeah. Um, the festival of Ballyhoo is essentially a, a. I looked at the origins of um, of where uh, Valentine's Day comes from, and. As far as I could check, and I'm sure I could be completely wrong, it comes from an old uh, festival that was a three-day festival. In the middle of it was uh, the 14th, and uh, yeah. a series of traditions came out of there. And I said, well, if that's where it came from, what else could it, how else would you express that same thing? And we, we looked at it and ended up coming out with the Festival of Ballyhoo, which is our, a tradition created for me and my friends to celebrate every year. I love and, that. And so it's just about having fun on February 14th, consistent with the origins of the tradition. Yeah. And so we took all these like characteristics and, and created new traditions. And now we celebrate that every year rather than, rather than like boycotting Valentine's Day, which is like, it just sounds kind of lame. Yeah. I'm boy no, I'm celebrating the Feast of Ballyhoo. I go out for the great meal with like a whole bunch of people. We go out <laughs> drinking and just have a f bunch of fun. Well, nothing's stopping you from creating your own traditions mm. and letting go of, or not necessarily letting go, but like not feeling obligated to just celebrate the traditions that already exist. Yeah. And a large part of bringing people together is tradition, right? Anything from 
Christmas, New Year's, St. Paddy's, all that kind of stuff. They all have their traditions and their folklore and everything. And there's nothing stopping you from creating your own. Yeah. I so, love that. you know, maybe it's on the uh, first Friday of every month. You celebrate first Friday and uh, at a specific bar and everybody comes together and it's a celebration and you're the creator of it. And uh, next thing we know, 10, 15 years down the line, you have something the scale of Burning Man where 60,000 people are celebrating first Friday. That's amazing. Uh, but it takes time. And so you got to clock it in. Yeah, it takes time and, and repetition. Mm-hmm. And learning and investment of human capital and all and finances. And it, but if you have an idea, just go out there and try it. Yeah. I mean... It's incredible what the effort it takes to create anything. I have respect for anybody who accomplishes. Like creating your podcast, I can't even imagine how many hours you've clocked into it and how much thinking. But it's extraordinary. Like, it's extraordinary to create anything. And just create something that lives and breathes with what's consistent with you and your values. Yeah. And I mean, getting to that space of actually creating is the hardest part. And I think, I don't know if you ever read the book, uh, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield talks about the resistance. Um, and it's that thing inside that keeps you from actually creating. Mm. It's that distraction of like, Oh, I can just go and watch a movie or I can, I'm just not going to do that today or, or whatever. And I mean, I acknowledge you for going after your, your passion and creating the influencer dinner and creating all the things that you're doing. And now you've got some big things coming up. It's super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and the space that you're in of, of actually going after it is, is a huge feat. And I acknowledge you for that. Thank you very much. Um, it's been awesome chatting with you and I, I want to have a second part after your future endeavors, mm-hmm. um, come out here and, uh, that would be my honor. Yeah. So if you can, a couple more questions, you know, what's next for you? What's, what's happening? What are you excited about? What are you most passionate about that's coming up? Um, so there's a few things. One is, uh, I'm, working on a book right now uh, about the science of adventure. Mm. What is the science that causes people to live fun, exciting, and remarkable lives, right? I start off with the premise that if people think the most exciting experiences of their lives happen by chance, but if it was random, then all of us would live similarly exciting lives. That means that there has to be some kind of science to the behavior Mm. that causes people to live exciting lives. And I've spent years studying it, And I found uh, that it follows a predictable four-stage process. And when you apply it, life becomes epic in comparison. Yeah. And so I have a book coming out about that. And uh, I have a TV show in the works. uh, Mm. And we'll see. But, you know, you never know with TV what ends up happening. Uh, And then, I don't know. I... Uh, people keep approaching me about different projects and more consulting. And uh, I, have to, I have to figure out what my 2015 travel project is. So every year I do a big travel project. Uh, 2013, I went once a month. I took a trip to the biggest event in the world, wherever it was. And I did that for 12 months. So I went running of the bulls where I got hit by a bull and almost died. I went to Pam, um, a Sundance Film Festival, Toronto International Film Festival, uh, Cannes, uh, Burning Man, and so on, Formula One. And I checked out all these crazy festivals. In 2014, this past year, I did uh, a month and a half where I switched cities every three days. Mm. So I went, let's see if I can, I'll get most of this right. It was Boston, Philly, New York, uh, Reykjavik in Iceland, yeah. Stockholm, Tel Aviv, Enhod Elat, Petra, which is Jordan, 
to Istanbul, followed by Prague, Vienna, Budapest, and it just kept going. So that's intense. It was. So now I have to figure out my 2015 uh, travel project. If anybody has any suggestions, uh, you can please message me on my website, johnlevytlb.com. Yeah. And uh, I'd be curious if you guys have something interesting for me to check out uh, besides a pickle drop. <laughs> well, that sounds exciting. And I'm, I'm excited for your for the upcoming book because I'm super interested in the even that subject, the science of adventure. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting. I have this, uh, I've been working on this thing because it correlates with my photography, but it's been a hashtag on Instagram. It's called Create Your Moments. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And I think it goes exactly along with, with what you're talking about. Is how, do you, how do we actively create the moments that happen in our lives? And how do you create moments that you're going to remember and that make your life even more fulfilling? Mm. So maybe this is just a, a good way of breaking that down even, even further. Uh, I think that you will be incredibly pleased when you see uh, what we come up with for this book. I am very excited. So one last question that I like to ask all of my guests and what does live inspiration mean to you? Hmm. So I would say that as a species, we have a habit of, of living based on a future that we think we have. Hmm. So most people say that it's the past that defines our experience of life. I would say that it's the future that we believe that we have. Hmm. So if I think my future is that I'm going to end up on uh, death row, then I'm going to be very grim right now. If I believe that my future is that I'm going to fall in love, marry the woman of my dreams, and uh, be a, I don't know, have a famous book author, then I would live life very excited right now. A simple example is if I'm about to leave on vacation, I'm very excited. Mm -hmm. When I'm about to return from vacation, I'm really upset. <laughs> and this is a lot, this kind of conceptualization comes from the seminars and landmark education. Yeah. And so living, it could, the phrase you used was? Live inspiration. Live inspiration to me would mean that I've created a future that's kind of predictable. That's at least what I'm moving towards that in, that I find inspiring so that as I'm moving towards that every moment I'm inspired, uh, in the present because the present is so fleeting, right? Mm -hmm. Moment to moment by moment, it's gone. And being able to be, to create a future, to actually, uh, form it and, uh, have it impacting you now would be, uh, exactly what yeah. you described. Yeah. I like that. I like okay. that. Well, Tell us where, how we can find you, learn more about you on the interwide webs, follow you on social media, all that good stuff. Uh, I'm really, really easy to find. My, uh, my name is John Levy, J-O-N-L-E-V-Y, and I'm John Levy, T as in Thomas, L as in Lion, B as in Boy, John Levy TLB everywhere. So on Twitter, John Levy TLB, Instagram, uh, if you want to track me down on Facebook, <laughs> you can go ahead and do that. Uh, my website is johnlevytlb.com. You can message me there. Um, uh, I really make an effort to get back to anyone and everyone who, who uh, writes to me. Um, and uh, if there's some way that I can improve people's lives, I'll do my best. I love so, that. What does TLB stand for? Um, so because I have this uh, fascination with adventure, 
when I was 17, I uh, decided to reread a lot of children's classics. And mm. one of them I came across was um, Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. Ah. And the Lost Boys exist in a realm of or world of childlike wonder and adventure. And that's what is uh, really important to me, that what I do, I do within the context of childlike wonder and adventure to uh, just be in awe of what's around us and what's being created and, yeah. and, uh, and then live in a way that uh, is exciting. And so that's, I love it. Um, and because there's a, the, literally the most common name in New York, John Levy is so predictable <laughs> that it's impossible to get a John Levy email address anywhere. It's invo- like if before I did these dinners, if you'd Google me, I just wouldn't show up because <laughs> there'd be eight other John Levy's. There's two that live within five blocks of me. And at one of my salons, I invited a bunch of John Levy's over so that when guests would come and walk up to them and be like, are you John Levy? They'd be like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> you should just have a full dinner of, of John Levy's. Levy's. <laughs> That'd, be, That'd be so confusing. When... <laughs> it would be. But, uh, well, you definitely have the spirit and I admire that. And I appreciate you taking the time to come out and be on the show. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Thank you guys so much for checking out today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with John Levy. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you could help us inspire even more people by leaving us a good review over on iTunes, sharing by tweeting or Facebooking the episode. You can also Instagram where you're being inspired by hashtagging Shop Talk Radio or at replying me. So get out there, create something great, and we'll see you next time.